0: Before we start with this episode of the podcast, we'll begin with a warning. This episode discusses the topic of swimming and water safety and includes references to drowning and death. This can be a really challenging topic and although the conversation will be around ways to reduce risk, we want to ensure you're aware of your own well-being and sources of support. Please only join this podcast if you're feeling well enough to do so. Hello and welcome back to the How to Empower podcast. Today, we'll delve into the topic of water safety and swimming empowerment while shedding light on the barriers within the African, Caribbean and Asian communities. I'm delighted to be joined today by Danielle Obey, Chair of the Black Swimming Association, the BSA. Thank you for having me, Katie. Thank you so much for being here today. And Luis Geraldo, Senior Associate here at PwC.
1: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Now... Before we dive into the questions, and we've got lots, um, I wanted to set the scene for our listeners as to why we're talking about this topic today and some of the startling statistics underscoring the urgency of this conversation. Every two minutes, somebody tragically drowns worldwide. Disturbingly, this burden is disproportionately borne by black and black British children, with a drowning rate of 6.46 per million, compared to 1.87 per million amongst the white British counterparts. In light of these statistics, our aim is to equip you with knowledge and foster awareness to address these issues. So Danielle, thank you so much again for joining us today. Could you please start by just telling us a bit about your story and what the BSA is, how it started?
2: Thank you again for having me, Katie. I am Danielle Obey uh, and I am a mother first, a wife, and um, my background is mindering consulting. And um, my inroad into the world of aquatics actually began when I was trying to find a solution to keep my daughter swimming. Um, Because as a family, we believe that, you know, being aquatically active and safe around water is important for you to keep children swimming. Um, And we started our kids swimming from when they could hold your necks up high at three and a half months old. Um, And I'd always assumed that that was enough, that because they were swimming, they were water safe. And then came the tragedy, really, of Costa del Sol, um, twenty fourth of December, twenty nineteen, where a family of five, acquainted to me, um, went out to Costa del Sol on holiday for Christmas holiday, and um, three of them came back in body bags, and you know, and the mother and daughter stood there at the service of songs, their lives completely devastated and changed forever. Um, I am a family of five. I do have three children as well. And when I think back at hearing the news of the demise of a 52 year old father who jumped in to save his 16 year old son and nine year old daughter from drowning in a pool on holiday on Christmas Eve, it just sent chills for me. At the time, we lived in London, um, in Greenwich, and I had my back garden was, was the river had a riverside property I we lived in for 17 years. And on up until that time, literally five metres from my kitchen island was the river. And up until that time, I had never been aware of what I was unaware of, but lived in property for 17 years. I didn't have a float. I didn't have a boy. I didn't have a ring. I hadn't even given my family the water safety advice of what to do if they ever saw someone in trouble in that river. I had just assumed that because they were swimming they were safe so I was unaware of what I needed to be aware of my children and, and my husband I and mean, we learned about what to do if you heard the fire alarm how to cross the street you know not to speak to strangers cyberbullying. but I'd never give them given them the fundamental skill that could have saved their lives because we're exposed to that danger every single day now why is this so significant 19% of the population who live within one kilometre of waterways in England, um, above the national average of 14% actually, are from Black and Asian communities. And yet Black and Asian communities are also the communities who do not have reach to vital water safety, education, and swimming, uh, and, and not that aquatically active from a swimming perspective. Um, and so I was one of the 19%. You know, pre-COVID, we know that 95% of Black adults didn't swim. 93% of Asian adults didn't swim. We don't know how many cannot swim or could not swim, but we know that they didn't swim. 80% of Black children left primary school where swimming is part of the curriculum, unable to swim. And that's 78% of Asian children. I was one of the 95 who didn't swim regularly, right? Um, and at that point, I thought, my goodness, there is so much that I need to learn. And that's where my life changed because I thought I will take my background as a management consultant and really to start to delve into this issues to understand why, why a mother had to hold on to her 14-year-old daughter and really hang on to a prayer as they pulled her husband out and her 16-year-old son out and her nine-year-old daughter out. And none of them made it. That was the day my life changed. That was the day I had my own awareness of swimming as a vital life skill and that there was a fundamental difference between swimming and water safety. And for me, yeah, that was it. I, I think the day I came home and asked my son, um, after, after the little assault incidents, as I said, if you see someone in trouble in the water, what would you do? He said, I would jump in and save them. I literally thought I'd died a thousand deaths. Because as a mother, I hadn't equipped my son with what he needed. Actually, the fact that he could swim made him overly confident that he could get into that water and save someone. And again, it's similar to the story we heard of Jimmy, the young man, who tried to save a woman on the bridge, and he lost his life. So the vital importance of water safety and drowning prevention, and also understanding swimming, basic swimming, as an intervention, is critical for all communities.
0: Well, I think... That must have given everybody listening chills because I'm a mother too and just thinking about that and asking those questions and as you say, we think about crossing the road but that point on safety of water safety is is so powerful. That was... Helen. I'm not sure how you're going to follow
1: that. I'm not sure either. <laughs> so I think just by circumstances i am now part of the five percent that do regularly swim um and i was lucky enough to be in a situation where i almost had a situation where my family came back in body bags and i was one of them and just by chance the lifeguard was able to come back to the pool in time and save us by a pole not by jumping into the water actually um and um I think there was a lot of animosity that surrounded my family because at the time there was another swimmer in the pool who didn't save us and left the pool and left us to our own devices because I got a bit excited and swam to the deep end in my armbands and my mum came to save me, realising she couldn't swim and grabbed onto me, he was floating. So myself, my sister and her all started drowning. Um, And like I said, the lifeguard got back in time, but I think there was a lot of anger around. Why didn't this woman save us? Um, And I think actually just going on my own swim journey and going on my own water safety journey led me to understand that actually, maybe she didn't have the capability. and knew that her jumping in would have risked her own life as well. And that's why uh, she kind of left the pool. So I think for me, as someone that now swims, I'm very passionate about number one, bringing that education around water to the black community um, and ethnic minority community more broadly because of the stats that um, Danielle mentioned, but just also general things. I remember being in uni you know, water kind of became a safe space for me. It became a space, space where I was fearless, you know, and I could do whatever I wanted. And my friends were finding that weird because that's not normal for people like us. People like us are meant to be afraid of the water, um, you know, and just wanting to conquer that stereotype and that mindset to actually think about, okay, if you overcome this, what more in life could you overcome? And that will link into something I'll touch on a bit later, but yeah. <laughs> thank you.
0: Thank you, and... And I love that message. I definitely want to come back to this really almost empowering yeah. story of water as a place of peace and space and being yourself. But before we do that, I really want to make sure we kind of zero in a bit for listeners on the difference between being able to swim and water safety, because, you know, you were re- that was a really clear part of what you were saying, that they're not necessarily the same thing.
2: Flexing Association was set up just over three years ago to ensure that there was a bridge between the sector and um, ethnically diverse communities who are considered or from a stereotypical perspective classed as hard to reach. The reason I fundamentally would like to start from there before I answer your question is, before the BSA, there was no organisation that was looking at Water safety and drowning prevention, particularly for, you know, Black and Asian communities. Now, the work that we do is not inclusion at the exclusion for some, but inclusion for all. So the stats that I gave you about the 19 and 14 percent, this is according to Canal and Rivers Trust, 61 percent of families who live within one kilometer of waterways are from low economic backgrounds. So take away ethnicity. We're talking about a fundamental life skill that every human being, every person, every family should have, right? Regardless of social standing, regardless of you know, all the other all protector characteristics. And that's really what the BSA set out to do. We set out to, our vision really is to diversify the only sport that is. So a life skill, i.e. swimming. And our mission is to ensure that everyone, especially people of African Caribbean and Asian heritage, have got equitable access. Water safety and drowning prevention, and that they feel safe in, on, and around the water. Not just the physical safety, but also the mental and psychological safety. I mean, Lois said earlier that I when mean, you do go out on holiday and you're doing things, and people looking at you thinking, Well, you shouldn't be doing That's this. There's that mental strength and, and safety that comes within being around an aquatic environment. Because water is life at the end of the day. So, when we did set up the BSA, we set up the visit to to look at exactly what was happening. Why did we have the statistics of 95 and 93 and 80 and 78%? But fundamentally, if we take a step back, drowning prevention is critical for the entire world. Um, according to WHO, right, accidental deaths, I say underestimated, but two, 372,000 people Die by drowning every year. Of the 372,000, 90% of those are from low-income countries and middle-income countries. Let's call a spade a spade. They're from Africa and Asia. So we're already disproportionately affected with the drowning statistics and figures. And when we started working with the BSA, diversifying the sport, it was around not having that representation. Side at elite level. But when we delve deeper, we found out that actually we're dealing with communities who are not even acknowledged and recognised. If you think about a number line, um, most of the sector when we talk about learning to swim um, or swimming as a sport are at, at one, two, three on number line. But when you speak to communities and I put my hand up, we're at minus three. I shared my story earlier, being unaware of what I needed to be aware of, not having the education myself to say to my son, if you see someone in trouble in the water, you don't go and rescue them. You know, we lived there on the Thames, like, who do you call when you die 999? Who do you ask? I didn't have that. That That is border safety. That is knowledge that every community should have. So when I talk about minus three, minus three is being unaware of what we need to be aware of. Minus two is then looking at that lack of water safety on the number line. You know, that minus one, then we start looking at aquaphobia, transatlantic journey, you know, or cultural beliefs and limitations. The zero point on the number line is not even seeing ourselves around water spaces or not even feeling that we should be there. So we don't see the learn to swim programs. We don't see the, the swimming coaching or careers and, and, and the health benefits of rehabilitating through water. Then we get to the one point where the sector is at, learn to swim. So in the last three years, that's really what the BSA has done. And that's what we continue to do. Our focus is on moving most of the community, regardless of ethnicity, really, from that minus three thoughts, that one. But the first thing we have done as, as an organization is to ensure that these communities are recognized, acknowledged, and that we start to work with them and create programs of awareness that reach them to be able to move them to where the sector is at at one point. So what is the difference between swimming and water safety? We did our research recently called our swim story. And when you ask people from the community, can you swim? A lot of people will say, yes, I can swim, but I don't wanna put my face in the water. I can swim, but I can only swim where I can stand and feel the bottom of the water. I can only, I can swim, but can you swim 25 meters? Yes. Okay. So standing in the room or sitting in the room where you are, can you kind of give me an idea of where 25 meters are? So, but when you ask someone, if you fell in water accidentally, would you know what to do? Or if you saw someone in trouble in water, would you know what to do? It would be a yes, or it'd be a no. It would not be a yes, but, or a no, but. Because one fundamentally is water safety knowledge. And the other one, can you swim, is, is open to interpretation. And so there really should be some work done around qualifying what does it mean to be able to swim. From a water safety perspective, You know, know who to call if you're in trouble in the water. If you are going to travel, whenever you get on the plane, you know, you're given the safety information. Part of that safety information should also be, especially when you're flying out to work where you're going on a beach holiday, should be the numbers to reach if in trouble in the water at any point in time right um that that is basic water safety that doesn't even need to be put forward in the pool so that education is critical now swimming in its very basic form is a life skill which can then when you're looking at your strokes and performance you can then move that on to you know not just a recreational activity so it moves on from water safety to being a recreational activity from a recreational activity to being a sport and from a sport that one would then compete with but it's really created in that regard
0: thank you and um you know I know you, you talked about that you're an inclusive organization it's about raising the bar but clearly there are communities where there are barriers I know I'm sure it's a very complicated set of reasons but what are the biggest barriers you see that, that are creating that gap
2: There are significant barriers that preclude Black and Asian communities from engaging in aquatics or swimming and water safety, as it were. One of them is actually reach, right? So we're working with the RNLI on a campaign called Float to Live. And the very first time I heard about Float to Live, I was thinking about taking my pink flamingo, my inflatable, to the beach and I remember at the time, like, no, no, you don't take a float to the beach. I'm like, but you said float to live. and like, no, it's a technique. So right there, although lots has been spent on crafting and designing this particular campaign, which is brilliant, float to live. It's lying on your back like a starfish, head back and just really sculling through the water until someone can save you. I'm aware of that now because I'm, I'm, I'm aware of it. I've had to learn. But I first thought about my float. So that message didn't reach me with the right impact and relevance. If anything, it would have caused me to be, uh, put myself in danger. So when we started working with Aaron I, the first thing we said was how can we float to live when we fundamentally believe we've got big bones and so cannot float and cannot swim because we've been told that or heard that through the years. Um, That's then led us to doing um, physiology research, which will be um, published and worldwide really to take away that whole stereotype and myth about black bones being heavy and people unable to float, right? So that is one of the barriers, the ability to float. And I've also learned that some people float easier than others and that floating really has nothing to do with whether you've got a permanent town like me or not like you, Katie. Um, we also have hair. Thirty-three percent of um, our respondents in the in our swim story said, from Black communities, said that hair, you know, was a, a barrier to their engaging in aquatics now or, or even swimming. Why is that the case? We as Black women spend, I think, six or seven times more in hair and hair care than the average Caucasian woman because our hair is just different and it takes us a lot to get get it done to then get into the water thereafter is is almost it's a no-no you also have the issues of chlorine in the pool now chlorine will damage any hair type but because of our type of hair it, it dries our hair, our hair out even more and and chlorine to the skin you know it exacerbates eczema and you know we also have the, the cost barriers financial barriers um lived experiences, people who've had near drowning experiences, or parents who are not even aware and who would say to their children, like don't go near the water and you wouldn't drown. But we live on an island. You know, so there's a lot to unpick there. But um one of of the insights we found as the BSA is that, you know, our communities, black and Asian communities, need to have equitable access to water safety, education and awareness. And that
0: I'm kind of interested in your experience because it sounds like you have experienced some of those kind of limitations and expectations on, on swimming as a black woman. Yeah. Um, but also you've, you've found a space to kind of challenge those.
1: Yeah, I would definitely say I'm not that old, but um, I think a lot has evolved in the last 10 years and I probably started swimming about 20 years ago. I mean, I think in those initial 10 years, things were quite difficult because of the things Danielle just mentioned. Like, For example, I would wear my head in braids. Braids are a lot thicker than the typical hair, so I would not have a hat that fits my head. And then when I come to my swimming lesson and don't have a hat or I'm wearing a shower cap, maybe because there's nothing else that fits, having being laughed at or having my teacher not understand why, for example, or because my body type is different. Um, when I'm floating, um, having a teacher not understand that actually I am floating... It just may look a bit different to when my Caucasian counterparts are floating Um, or, for example, different things like with my eczema and maybe having to wear more to cover my body when I'm swimming to protect that and also having teachers who wouldn't understand uh, that at the time. And I think Daniel mentioned something about actually um, environment and I was privileged enough to grow up in an area in Essex where swimming was a normal thing. Um, But for people like me to swim in that area was very strange. So I think definitely there was a big piece there of a lot of the things I went through being an educational piece for the people in the area, for the swimming teachers in the area Um, and conversations with our parents to actually let the teachers understand it's not just that Lois has been rebellious. uh, There's a reason for this, you know, and I now look, I have sisters who are about 10 years younger than me and they can swim freely. They have hats that can fit their braids. They can wear costumes that cover their body, um, you know, and their actual creams that help to manage the chlorine uh, for eczema and and things like that so I think witnessing that evolution uh, has also been empowering but I think sometimes the hard things in life um, going through them and being used as an educational piece and now seeing the other side of it it's rewarding you know it's rewarding and um, I think it's a big part of why now I'm such a passionate advocate for swimming uh, for our community. Brilliant
0: thank you. And it is great to to hear that things are
2: changing, yeah.
0: though it sounds like there's still a long way to go. Yeah. I was looking at this question and I was thinking, I don't know if I want to ask this question because it, I was, I was, it was, it says why should organizations care about swimming and water safety? And I kind of think, well, hopefully everybody as a human should really care about this, having heard this story. But I suppose, why should organizations engage in this? What's the role that companies can play in
1: supporting? your charity your message do you mind if i talk a bit to what we've done yeah uh, and together and then i guess you could talk more broadly about because i think it'd be a nice are you trying to disrupt this podcast <laughs> absolutely not at all but we peace i'm sorry, I'm
2: sorry. So, do you understand where i'm, <laughs> I'm <gonna> absolutely <laughs> so but I'll, I'll jump in for 30 okay, seconds cool, cool. companies no. and organizations <laughs> are made of, of people yeah and they deliver services and products to people. So that's who we're talking about and everyone needs to care about this. Everyone needs to be aware of this, what they can do, and how they can support the change that's required. Um, and I'm glad that PWC is one of those companies and Louis is gonna tell us all about it.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was privileged enough to um, be able to go on a journey with 16 of our, ethnic think, minority colleagues. Um, in the firm. And we were privileged enough to partner with BSA uh, to take our colleagues through um, something called the Blue Hour Programme. And what the Blue Hour Programme does is I think it's a five-week programme that basically teaches the fundamentals of swimming and water safety. There is a lot of being in the water, but there's also a lot of education piece around the things that Danielle mentioned earlier in the podcast. Now, because unfortunately my swimming level is a bit more progressed, I wasn't allowed to physically participate. Um, But I think witnessing it, not only the educational piece, but the emotional journey for participants and building relationship with them and understanding the fears and a lot of it actually being a mental barrier, you know, I think I can't float because that's what I've been told and then seeing them overcome that. But then on top of that, now seeing how through work, because they've conquered that fear, they actually feel more fearless at work. They're able to approach, approach their work with a new sense of, I can do this and... And resilience and um, that they otherwise wouldn't have had um, and I think the program has really empowered I would say all of them just from conversations I have followed on with them months months later and had and even me seeing them go through it I feel empowered to say look maybe there's more organizations can do you know within the community and with organizations to bring out the best in their employee populations and workforce so that they can not only do better in water and have that conquered but even in their jobs in their work with the products and services absolutely they sell
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So the Blue Hour, Together We Can, is the name of the five week program. And it's actually designed for those at minus three to move them towards one and further aquatic pathways. So it's designed to take them really through that awareness and education. Um and it's not a learn to swim program. It is actually a water safety introduction, familiarization program that leads them onto aquatic pathways where at the one point they can learn to swim. Or you have a few of the The people who actually become teachers and come back into the program. Because I mean, when I started, I I initially thought I needed to be a fish to be a swimming teacher. (laughs) But no, it's just that passion of wanting to see people overcome those fears. And Joe is in there day in and day out with with the team. And the stories that we hear are so touching. From a woman coming in five weeks, overcoming her fears. I mean, a lot of participants. You can really see them shaking around the water. And a lot of them are in tears. Some of them are swearing. But the sense of community and knowing that there are other people right there holding their hands who understand and are willing to go on this journey with them. One of the feedbacks I picked up from the PwC piece was the sense of community. Yeah. That not only 16 knew each other, yeah. but now... They've now got a bond. They've got, the a bond. End. Yeah. they've got a bond. They've got a bond. And it's also the mental, psychological strength that you get from it. And we've had participants come through there dealing with cancer, and thinking, I can take another day. So we've had participants come through there, and all of them thinking, you know what, I feel empowered, I have conquered this. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and tell the abusive husband, this is it. That's the door. You know, the, you have people who come in and who are thinking, I was so aquaphobic that I couldn't walk across a bridge. And so there are certain parts of, you know, London, that where I was locked out of, because I wouldn't walk on a bridge, I wouldn't get on the bus and you have others who had mental health issues who all of a sudden came out of their own. What am I saying? Water is life. Water is empowering. And everyone, all communities need to find their own place in the water. And that's what we do with the BSA. Now, with those in PWC who've taken up the Blue R Together We Can, and even with your skills, Louise, we want now to have A Blue Water Together, we can community Mm -hmm. within PwC. Because as a BSA, we can't be everywhere, but we believe in planting the seeds of oak trees. And out of the group of 16, we might have you pair up with two others and start delivering that program within PwC to other employees and other partners. Now, Katie, something that's really significant that everyone must be aware of is, when we talk about the water safety and drowning prevention, a lot of times, the sector assumes it's low socioeconomic groups mm-hmm. who wouldn't, wouldn't need that, but the work we're doing is showing that it's the print and the popper. It's everyone through society. I mean, the work we did with PwC with partners. Yeah. I mean, you know, middle in, middle class people. Those we're doing in communities. But when you get into that water, the program is the same because it's a leveler. You know, it doesn't matter whether you drive a Bentley, you know, or you drive an incredible Ford. Or you take the bus. When you get in there, it's the same fear, you know. It's the same fear. One, we all need to conquer as a group. It's the same message that is empowering, you know. For me, it could be, you know, taking on another day after having a lot of stress because I know I can get into the water. You know, to another woman, it could be, you know, being able to take her child swimming. You know, you know, to a father, it might just be the son being able to do rookie lifeguarding then lifeguarding and earning some money to help the family it's limitless possibilities are limitless it's empowering, is emboldening it's inspiring and that is
0: that's what's really coming through i think as you said earlier there could be a tendency to think of swimming as a sport or you know a, a keep fit activity but actually as you say it's about safety it's a life skill but also it can be this pu- wonderful kind of source of mental health and resilience and fun and opportunity.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would never have met Lois. I never have met UK. <laughs> I would never have had the opportunity to partner with PwC. I remember saying to, um, to Eunice the other day, I said, PwC is now in the business of water safety. And she looked at me like, yes, you are. Whatever, <laughs> Because you've now taken that on board and, you know, potentially as an employee benefit for all employees who are at that minus three, but also, you know, from from associates to senior associates and partners, you know, everyone, when you get into that water, you are just you, it strips off all of the titles and it just, and labels, and it just gives you that opportunity to be right. I would never have had the career opportunity that I have now within Aquatics if I hadn't engaged. So
0: I'm sure a lot of people listening are thinking two things. One is, oh my goodness, I don't know about water safety. What do I do? Where do I go? Got a website. Does that have resources on? Where would you recommend people start their journey?
2: So website in construction, but you can go to <laughs> www.thebsa.co.uk you will find some useful resources or send us an email, contact us at thebsa.co.uk. But Katie, every time I get the opportunity to speak to people, Mm -hmm. the first thing I ask them is, if you were in trouble in the water, would you know what to do? Would you know how to float to live? If you saw someone in trouble in the water, inland water, so a canal, Mm -hmm. a riverside, what would you know to do? Do you know who to call? Do you know to find something that floats? Do you know to definitely not to a- try to attempt a rescue? And if you found yourself along the Thames and you saw someone in trouble in the water as well, when you dial 999, do you know who to ask for? So, pretty simple. If you are along the Thames, <laughs> the river, up and down the country, and you see someone in trouble in the water, when you dial 999, you ask for the Coast Guards. And if you're at the beach as well, and someone was in trouble, you dial 999. Again, you ask for the Coast Guard. Don't swim alone. And even those who are strong swimmers, we also find that they get in trouble in the water and they drown. It's not about how great you are at swimming. It's just about being water safe and water aware. So when you're going swimming, don't go alone. And if you're going out to beaches, ensure that they're lifeguarded beaches. If you're traveling abroad, Know what those emergency numbers are in the country where you're going to, right? And also, if you're going to wear a life jacket or buoyancy device, know that they're very different, right? A buoyancy device and a life jacket are different and they function differently. But let's bring it back home. If you saw someone in trouble inland, so we're really surrounded by water, who you out? You call 999 and you ask for the fire service. It doesn't add up. But in inland waters, the fire service is who comes out for a rescue in trouble in the water. Thank you for
0: that and I think we'll have some of that information on, on the website as well. Um, and what if someone's listening to this and just thinks I want to help, what can they do? How can they help as an individual?
2: They can support the work of the BSA. The BSA is a charity. And we only get to do what we do through donations that we receive and funding. Um, so as an individual, it's important from an awareness perspective that you are aware that we do have this issue. And next time you go anywhere near the water pool um, and you look around and you don't see a lot of people from black and Asian communities, um, you should have that aha moment and think, you know, what can I do differently? Now, when we co-founded, when we, we co-founded the BSA. We had lots of people reaching out to us to ask how, um, and we said, you know, be an ally, talk about the work of the BSA, you know, write to us, at contact us at thebsa.co.uk, you know, volunteer your expertise, you know, with marketing, comms, media, any area, it's very welcome. But also in terms of donations, we need the donations to show what we do. Um, But more importantly, uh, speaking to large um, organisations and corporates would be to consider doing what PwC did, you know, where you look internally at how you can deal and empower Black and Asian communities to be water safe and to enjoy the benefits of aquatics by adopting the BSA's Blue and Together We Can as a programme that
1: can be delivered within organisation. A more detailed case study on that will follow soon after this podcast.
0: Oh, i looking forward to it. <laughs> Thank you. And hopefully, I'm I'm sure you're going to, to get lots of organisations interested because I think it's such a powerful message and actually hearing the positive
2: impact that it's had for, for our colleagues is amazing. There was actually one thing Lois not mentioned and the 16 who went in to do the Blue Hour wow, Together We Can, funded by PWC, there was also a paid forward for a community who Great. could not afford um to to come on the program. So PWC did one and paid for one, which we then served to um, young girls around period period property in, in Greenwich. There is that as well. Yeah, thank you so thank much for sharing that. So nice to know.
0: Um so we always finish our podcasts by asking our amazing guests, um, what makes you empowered? How do you? I mean, both of you have told me amazing stories about the way you've 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 been empowered and taken action. And I would just, you know, really love to hear your thoughts on how how you how you feel empowered every day.
1: Guess I'll go first. <laughs> how do I feel empowered? I feel empowered by laying in my bed at the end of the day and knowing that I've had impact, um, mm-hmm. positive impact, and that the things I've done during the day, though mundane or not so mundane, have served a purpose. Um, I know that always when we do something that serves a purpose, we don't always see the end of what that is, but I think there is a knowing that comes with being part of something that's almost greater than yourself. Um, So I think that's how I feel empowered.
2: When I get home every day, um, especially when I've had meetings out, and I see my daughter, my two daughters and my son, and I know that my husband, myself, my family are safe. That is just that feeling of, wow. But it's not just my family. Having this podcast, knowing that one, two, three people who hear this would perhaps be more water safe than they were before. That is empowering, knowing that I am part of that change, knowing that um, we started an organization like the Black Swimming Association, BSA, that is growing and that is tackling a fundamental issue that no one else as yet seem to have looked at, especially for our communities in the UK. Now, we've inspired a change in the sector and there's a lot more being done and spoken about and there's a lot more to do. So each time I think about where we are as a BSA or where I am as an individual knowing that I am helping to save lives that is empowering thank you
0: and there we have it another episode of the how to empower podcast series this has been a great conversation and i want to extend my appreciation to our wonderful guests danielle and lois for their valuable contributions to our discussions to all our listeners thank you for tuning in don't forget to keep sharing your own stories and inspiring others on social media using the HowToEmpower hashtag. Until next time, stay safe and stay empowered.